afternoon. So welcome to our um, online summer retreat. Um, it's strange um, speaking here in the church with only one other person in the church apart from myself, but we know um, that people all around the Diocese of Limerick and around the country and in some other parts of the world are joining us as well. So wherever you are, um, you're very welcome. I'm Seamus Enright. I'm preaching today. Father Lawrence Gallagher will be preaching tomorrow. Um, Father Jerry Maloney will be preaching on Wednesday. And the timetable each day, we have Mass in the morning at 10, and then we have a talk at 11, and this afternoon talk at 4, and then we have Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament um, from 12 until 1. Um, if you were here this morning, you'll remember I reflected on some stories from John's Gospel and some passages from the Acts of the Apostles about, the, about Peter and about Peter's following of Jesus, because what we're exploring during the retreat is discipleship. What does it mean to be followers of Jesus today? So we saw Peter's personal story, as it were, in John's Gospel, and then the role that Peter played in the huge change that went on as the church moved from the Jewish world into the wider kind of Gentile world, into the wider uh, Roman Empire. And that was a difficult um, transition um, for the church. And we're involved in major transitions in the church today. We're moving from being a, a Western church, dominated by Europe and North America, to being a, a Southern church, a church of the developing world. We're moving from being a clerical, hierarchical church, and this is a slow and painful journey, but we're moving from being a, from being a clerical and hierarchical church to becoming the sort of synodal church um, that Pope Francis talks about in which um, lay people uh, are allowed to have more voice, um, especially in the decision-making processes of the church than they've had um, in recent times. So this afternoon I'd like to look at some women disciples and see what have they to teach us about following Jesus. So I'd like to look at Martha and Mary and then to look at Mary of Magdala. But just to remind ourselves, of course, of our belief as Catholics, and we find this in the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy in paragraph 7, our belief that Jesus is present in his word. Since this is he himself who speaks when the Holy Scriptures are read in the church, and of course he speaks to us when we read the Scriptures ourselves. So Jesus speaks to us um, from the Scriptures. And this morning, you might um, remember, I told a story from St. Augustine's Confessions about St. Augustine watching St. Ambrose reading and how surprised he was that St. Ambrose read silently because reading was mostly out loud at the time. But of course the interesting sentence there was that when Ambrose read, his eyes ran over the columns of writing and his heart searched out the meaning. So that little phrase there is important for us the heart searching out the meaning. It's to allow the Word of God to penetrate our hearts and to come to know the Scriptures by heart. Every story, and I often quote this here in Mount St. Alphonsus, every story has 77 levels of meaning. This is what the rabbis used to say at the time of Jesus. The rabbis, preachers like myself, teachers, the rabbis, the teachers, the preachers can help people to discover one level of meaning and then it's up to people to discover the other 
um, 77 levels for themselves. And the stories say different things at different times and say different things to different people. And a question, a question to have in mind when we're reading scripture, when we're praying with the scriptures is to say, what is the story saying to me now? What is Jesus saying to me now? So let's look at Martha and Mary and let's look at them first of all from St. Luke's Gospel. Now I'm going to use different scriptural texts as we go along and at the end of the talk um, Kevin Nolan who's our church manager will put them up on the screen so if you're following us online um, you'll be able um, to, to check them there and write them down for yourself. And we're doing that because I want to suggest that these are passages of scripture that you might read, not necessarily today or during the retreat, but that you might um, integrate into your summer reading and your summer um, praying. So this is from the 10th chapter of St. Luke's Gospel, and it begins at the 38th verse. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what she was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. This story has been weaponized over the course of the centuries, maybe not so much recently, but in the past. It has been weaponized against women. It has been used um, to suggest that the contemplative life, a more passive life, is more appropriate for women than an active life, and it was used as an obstacle in the way of many women, especially women religious, who were developing new ways of religious communities and new ways of engaging in ministry. So I can understand that some women have difficulties with the story. And also um, Barbara Reed, who's a Dominican sister, who's a friend of mine, who teaches scripture at Catholic Theological Union in Chicago. Barbara suggests that this story was written at a time when the church was actively downgrading the role of women and when it was pushing women out of ministry and pushing women to the edges and therefore that's an interpretation of the story that we need to keep in mind as well. But I want to offer uh, a more um, conventional explanation and first of all we need to look at the context. If you look at St. Luke's Gospel um, just before the visit to Martha and Mary, Jesus sends the 70 disciples out in twos. He sends them out in twos on mission to visit the towns and the villages and the communities of Israel. So that's the background. So what Jesus is doing in this story is he's modeling the sending out himself. By visiting with Martha and Mary, he's showing his followers, his disciples, whom he's sending out on mission, he's showing them how to engage in mission and how um, to visit, how to do what we might call um, pastoral visitation today. So the first thing that Jesus does, of course, is he breaks a cultural taboo. Um, it was unusual, it was unacceptable for a man at the time, especially for a teacher like Jesus, 
it was unacceptable to enter the house of women unaccompanied. So this is a, an example of Jesus breaking a cultural taboo, of breaking free from the conventions and the traditions of the time. And we see that elsewhere in the New Testament as well. If you were to go to the Acts of the Apostles, and if you were to go to chapter 16 of the Acts of the Apostles, you'd find that Paul and his companions are invited by Lydia, after she hears them preaching, are invited by Lydia to visit her house. So again, Jewish men at the time of Jesus and at the time of Paul wouldn't have visited the houses of women on their own. So Jesus breaks the taboo, Paul breaks the taboo as well. So I think one of the questions we probably need to ask ourselves then as we think about these stories and pray about these stories are what are the taboos today? What are the cultural taboos today that we need to be breaking? What aspects of our culture, what aspects of church life imprison us, lock us in, hem us in? What do we need to free ourselves from? It's also suggested um, by scholars that Martha and Mary were either disciples of Jesus or on the way to becoming disciples of Jesus. Now, there's no Lazarus in this story. You probably noticed that. It's just Martha and Mary, and they're living in a village in Galilee. So not the Martha and Mary and Lazarus, whom we'll meet later, who live in Bethany, which is just beside Jerusalem. So were they the same people at all? Or was Luke confused about his geography uh, not being kind of Jewish and not being very familiar with the Holy Land himself? So it's a village in Galilee, and Jesus is visiting, and he's showing his followers how to do um, pastoral um, visitation. And he breaks with convention. He breaks through a strong um, cultural taboo. And as I say, Martha and Mary are either disciples or they're on the way to becoming disciples. And we can see that because of Martha's use of the word Lord. And then there's the tension between Martha and Mary. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. Again, that would have been very unusual and very unconventional at the time. Teachers like Jesus, rabbis like Jesus, didn't have women disciples. And they didn't have women sit at their feet in the way that Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. So Jesus doesn't choose, as it were, between Martha and Mary. But he makes a point, and it's an important point for followers of Jesus. It's an important point especially for those of us who are involved in ministry. That ministry that isn't rooted in attention to Jesus isn't good Christian ministry. So Mary witnesses to presence. Pope Francis has said recently when he's talking about praying with the scriptures that we need to be present, we need to be there. Jesus is there waiting for us. We need to be present to him and we need to be there for him. So you can't have effective ministry without discipleship. That we're disciples before we're ministers and being present to Jesus is a key component of discipleship. So relationship with Jesus um, is, is crucial that all our ministries need to be grounded um, in, in, in relationship. So that's Martha and Mary as we meet them in Luke's Gospel. 
in John's Gospel, and again, you'll get these references at the end. They'll go up on the screen. In John's Gospel, we go to chapter 11, the beginning of chapter 11, and we go to the beginning of chapter 12, and we meet Martha and Mary, and this time they have a brother called Lazarus. And as I say, there's some doubt as to whether the Martha and Mary in Luke's Gospel are the same Martha and Mary that we meet in John's Gospel, because in Luke they're in Galilee, and in John they're in Bethany, which is very close to Jerusalem. And Jesus often went to Jerusalem, and it would seem that these were his friends, that he would go to, that he would go to Bethany and he would spend time with them. And that brings out something of the, of the humanity of Jesus, the need for friendship, the need for a safe place, the need to be able to let down your hair, as it were, and kick off your shoes and, and relax among your friends. Because Jesus was like us in everything except sin. All our basic human needs, Jesus had those needs. So the need for friendship, the need for acceptance, the need for relaxation, the need um, to be at his ease. So chapter 11 and chapter 12, and I would um, recommend that you read them yourself, and they're actually just too long um, for me um, to read now. But I'm going to read just to highlight a little piece from chapter 11. And chapter 11, as you probably know, is about the death of Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus to life by Jesus and the slow process whereby that comes about and, and then the impact that it has on the wider um, Jewish community. But in the middle of it all, Jesus has this conversation with Martha. Martha said to Jesus, this is in verse 21 of chapter 11, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus was very good at asking questions. And sometimes when we're praying uh, with the scriptures, Jesus will have questions to ask us. So he's asking Mary, do you be asking Martha, do you believe this? But of course, it's not just a story about Martha. It's also our story. So Jesus is asking us now, um, do we believe? Do we believe in the resurrection? Do we believe that he is the resurrection and the life? And Martha said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. So Martha's profession of faith is there in verse 27 of chapter 11 of John's Gospel. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. If you were here this morning, you might remember Peter's profession of faith. It's in chapter 6 of John's Gospel, verses 68 to 69. It's in the middle of a great crisis. There's great conflict going on because people have difficulty in accepting the church's teaching about Eucharist. And many people are leaving the community and no longer walking um, with the community. And of course, it's a source of great obsession, great tension. And in the midst of that, of course, 
um, Jesus asks Peter and the others, are you going to leave me as well? And Peter says to him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So Lord, to whom can we go? So there's the relationship. Who else can we go to? And then we've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So if you take Martha's profession of faith, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world, and you put it side by side with Peter's profession of faith, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life, We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The Church has put great emphasis, and rightly so, on Peter's profession of faith, but has almost completely ignored uh, Martha's um, profession of faith. And then there's this lovely story in chapter 12 of John, at the beginning of chapter 12, where uh, Mary of Bethany um, takes the lead. So I'm going to read it for you, but I would suggest that um, at some stage over the summer you read it yourself and pray about it yourself. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. So we, the suggestion here is that he often came to Bethany. He came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served. Now, that resonates with the presentation of Martha in Luke's telling of the story up in Galilee as well. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at table with Jesus. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She brought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you but you do not always have me. So Mary is getting Jesus ready for his death and burial. And in that, she's a little ahead of the rest of his followers because they keep on denying. They keep on denying um, that this is going to happen. They're just not able to face it. They're just not able to work their way through um, the darkness and, and the suffering um, that Holy Week um, represents um, in the life of Jesus. So I want to move on and have a little look at Mary of Magdala. And again, there are um, scripture references, quite a few of them actually, and they're going to come up on the screen at the end of the conference, and you'll be able to make a little note about them yourself. Um, Jane Schaberg is an American feminist writer, and she's written an article, now it's a little bit strong in its language, she's written an article called when did Mary Magdalene become a whore? Not the language that we normally use in church, but the title of the article, When did Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene become a whore? And she pinpoints the moment at which Mary became, came to be presented as a prostitute, because there's no evidence in the Gospels that Mary was um, a prostitute. But on Easter Sunday, 
in the year 591, Pope Gregory the Great was preaching in Rome. And what he did in his sermon was he took stories about Mary of Magdala, Mary of Bethany, and a nameless woman who anointed Jesus, who was a public sinner in the house of Simon the leper. So he takes the three women, as it were, Mary of Magdala, Mary of Bethany, and this nameless woman, and he collapses all the stories into one. But up until this moment, there are three um, independent women, and now, as I say, they're, 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 they're collapsed into one. And from this moment on, Mary of Magdala is presented differently in the church to the way in which she had been presented up until that time. One of the things that's significant about Mary of Magdala is her name. She was called Mary of Magdala. This suggests a certain um, independence because at the time, women were normally defined in terms of their relationship to a man. So you were the wife of, or the daughter of, or the widow of. But here, Mary stands um, independently, Mary of Magdala. Magdala was a prosperous town, and the suggestion is, of course, that Mary was a woman of means, and she belonged to a group of women followers of Jesus who supported the ministry of Jesus. So the women funded the ministry of Jesus. Women funded the life of the community. We know that she was healed. We read about how demons were cast out of her. We need to be careful as to how we deal with the language of demons when we come across it in the scripture. When people didn't understand something, they were inclined to talk about it in terms of diabolical possession. Now, we understand more now about the human psyche than people did at the time of Jesus. We know more about mental illness. We know more about psychological disturbance. So it's likely that Mary was healed of a mental or an emotional or a psychological illness rather than that she had demons cast out of her. So she supported the ministry of Jesus. She was healed by Jesus. She became a follower of Jesus. She was one of the witnesses to the crucifixion. We see this in all the Gospels. And she was also a witness to the resurrection. And we see this in all the Gospels with no hint about prostitution anywhere. Just that this unwell, prosperous woman was healed by Jesus, became a follower of Jesus, became a leading member of the community of the followers of Jesus. Some people would say that Mary's role among the women was rather like Peter's role among the men, that Peter led the men and Mary led the women. So she witnessed the crucifixion, she witnessed the resurrection, and in the early church, and this was still a tradition in the Orthodox churches, she was called the Apostle of the Apostles. She's one of the patrons of preachers. If you look up here and the small stained glass windows up here at the front of the church in Mount St. Alphonsus, you'll see a representation of Mary of Magdala because she's there because she's the patron of preachers, um, patron of the Dominican order, but patron of all those who are involved um, in, in, in the ministry of preaching. Elizabeth Johnson, who's a, a distinguished American theologian, scholar, Sister of St. Joseph, talks about Mary as being a powerfully faithful disciple, a courageous witness, a founding church mother. 
We talk a lot about church fathers, but there were church mothers as well, that she was a wise woman. She was a revealer and a teacher, because interestingly, and this shows again the breaking with tradition and with cultural taboos, Mary was the first witness to the resurrection. Mary was the one who went and told Peter and the others. Now this was highly unusual because in Jewish law at the time, women weren't equal to men when it came to giving evidence before a court. The word of one man equaled the word of, of, of two women. So there was a considerable diminishment of women in the Jewish legal system. And yet here is Mary, the first witness to the resurrection. She's an interpreter of Jesus' message because she's the one who explains it to the others. And Elizabeth Johnson uses a lovely phrase from St. Anselm, who was an Archbishop of Canterbury, that Mary was uh, a friend of God. So we see um, this very um, interesting biblical portrait of Mary, but we see how for much of the history of the church it was lost, and Mary's good name was taken away from her, and she was presented as being a prostitute. Now, prostitutes were, of course, welcome in the company of Jesus. Prostitutes and sinners gathered around him, and this was one of the criticisms that his enemies made of him. They said, you can judge a person by the company they keep and look at the company that Jesus keeps. In 1969, you could say that the church began to make reparation and give Mary back her good name. In 1969, Pope Paul VI, blessed Pope Paul VI, renewed the liturgy. And he renewed the liturgy for the feast of Mary of Magdala. Up until then, the gospel story on that day had been from the seventh chapter of Luke about this nameless woman, not about Mary of Magdala at all. But Paul VI took a gospel from the 20th chapter where we see Mary witnessing to the resurrection. And then, more recently, Pope Francis decided that we would celebrate Mary of Magdala's feast on the 22nd of July, I think it is, as the feast of an apostle. So even though the liturgy has changed, and even though biblical scholars have changed their understanding, it's taking a long time for that um, new image of Mary, which is an old image of Mary, um, to filter through into our consciousness. I've even heard my own brethren here from this ambo preach about Mary um, being a prostitute, and there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that she was. So in a little while, those scripture references will go up on the screen. They'll stay there for a little while, and you'll be able to jot them down if you want, and then maybe read them and pray with them over the summer. But it's important that we read scripture prayerfully. The Catechism of the Catholic Church um, emphasizes that very strongly, that we're not just to read it academically, we're not just to read it with our minds, but we're to read it prayerfully, we're to actually read it in our hearts. There's a lovely feast in, and just to finish with this as an interesting little note, there's a lovely feast celebrated in, by Orthodox Christians. We don't have such a feast in the Western Church to which we belong, and it's called the Feast of the Holy Myrrh Bearers. And what it does is it gathers up a whole lot of minor characters who appear at the end of the four Gospels 
who were there, who witnessed the resurrection, who witnessed the burial of Jesus, who in some way were part of the end story of Jesus' life. And Mary of Magdala is the chief mirror bearer, as it were. But there are others there as well. And these are all names that are, you'll come across if you're reading the final chapters of any of the four Gospels. There was the mother of James and Joseph. There was Mary, who was the wife of Clopas. There was the wife of Chusa, who was Herod's steward. There was Salome, who was the mother of James and John. There were Martha and Mary of Bethany, whom we've already encountered. Joseph of Arimathea appears there. Um, so does Nicodemus. So does another Mary, Mary of Cleopas, but she could well be Mary, the wife of Clopas as well. We're just not so sure about that. And then James, um, the son of Alphaeus, is there as well. And these names come to us out of the scriptures. And of course, um, they come from the very early um, tradition of, of, of the church as well. So we remember these women as, as followers of Jesus, Mary and Martha, who were disciples. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus reminds us about the importance of presence, how important it is that we are present to Jesus, how we're in relationship with Jesus, and how we work out some of that relationship by engaging prayerfully with the scriptures. And Mary of Magdala shows us, of course, um, that women played important roles in the life of the community of the followers of Jesus, and that you could be a broken woman, because that's maybe a way to describe Mary, that you could be a broken woman, that you could be healed by Jesus, you could become a follower of Jesus, and then you could become a leading member of the community of the followers of Jesus. So that brokenness was no obstacle to leadership in the community of the followers of Jesus. You probably could say that, that brokenness was a gift, that brokenness was a gift that people like Mary brought um, to their role of leadership in the community of the followers of Jesus. So Kevin will put those biblical references up on the screen if you're at home and remind you again then tomorrow, Father Lawrence will be the preacher, Mass will be at 10, talks at um, 11 and 4, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament from 12 to 1. You can follow us online, of course, and the church will be open for all the um, retreat activities as well. So thank you for joining us. And if you're, if you're following us, we'd love to hear from you, just to get some idea as to where people are who are joining in this retreat. So do please drop us an email wherever you are, just to let us know um, that you're taking part in this.